Good afternoon. The panel are NZ National. Wallace Chapman, as always, with you. We have in Nelson, Johnny O'Donnell, and in Christchurch, Jenny Morton to this first. 73 people are killed in work accidents each year in Aotearoa. That is equal to the United Kingdom's fatality rate from the 1980s. It is double the current rate in Australia, which also has a serious injury rate 20% lower than New Zealand's. Workplace death and injuries are costing the economy $4.4 billion a year. All this from the inaugural State of a Thriving Nation report by the Business Leaders Health and Safety Forum. With us is Dr Joan Crawford, who is the WorkSafe NZ Chair in Health and Safety at Te Herangawaka, Victoria University, who has looked at this issue very closely across the years. Dr Crawford, welcome. Thank you. You have said that we have have had an abysmal rate of work related deaths, and here we have 73 deaths a year in workplace accidents. Why so high? Um, I think there's an awful lot of complications. There's not an easy answer to that question. And I think it's about our system maturity in New Zealand, in Aotearoa, where we're needing to embed health and safety um, across the system. But what I'd also like to mention is the 900 people who also die each year from work-related causes. So it's, you know, there's, it's, yeah. it, none of this is good. Um, and it's about how do we prevent accidents, injuries, workplace exposures that are harming people. And, but why are we double the current rate in Australia? Um, because they have a, a slightly different system um, their their legal their legislation is slightly different. Um, you mentioned the UK um, at the start of this, and the UK has had since 1992 when it went into the risk management um, legislation through the European directives. So they've had longer to to build the systems and actually make sure that people are are safe and healthy at work. Let's, we have a panel with us, Joanne. Uh, Ginny Morton, um, shocking figures, aren't they? 73 deaths a year. Your thoughts on this? Your comments, questions? I, well, I do find it tragic. I mean, who goes to work and doesn't come mm. home? You know, 73 times a year, that's, that's terribly tragic. And you've got to feel for those people's families. And, and it just seems wrong. But I really picked up on what you said about the 900 people who die of work caused illnesses, um, Dr Crawford. I, I find that shocking in this day and age. And I was just wondering what, what kind of causes that we are seeing that are, are resulting in those numbers. Um, the types of causes, um, there's things like uh, cancer, asbestos exposure, um, COPD, and for a variety of different workplace hazards that we're not controlling and- yet. And they are still current hazards, you know, because we, we all know about the stories from the 70s and 80s, but are these still current hazards in workplaces? Well, some of them, some of these are long latency diseases, so they, the exposures yep. may have been 20 or 30 years ago. But we're still seeing people, and we've seen this with um, silicosis, or recently accelerated silicosis coming into play. Um, so, you know, it's there are still workplaces where people are being exposed Two highly, highly toxic, um, you know, chemicals, dust, 
and we need to we need to control that better. Johnny, that's just wrong. <laughs> it is wrong, and I was I was pleased, Wallace, in the way you introduced the story that your emphasis went on the true cost of this, which is the people who don't get home from work at the end of the day, because um, some of the headlines around this I found a little bit disturbing, because the, the lead-out was that the injuries and, and deaths are costing an estimated $4.4 billion a year, which I find is the, the least interesting or compelling part um, of this mm. story. So I was pleased with the way we talked about that, and I think you know this is a really good time for us to take stock, um, because we hear so much rhetoric about the need to cut back on red tape um, but actually relative to other parts of the world um, potentially in some areas we actually need more um, and we do need systems to to keep people safe uh, it's unacceptable that this is still occurring um, um, Dr Crawford am I, am I right in thinking that um, there are I saw your piece in the conversation around um, the postgraduate course um, being under threat mm. and I also note that there are some um, uh, potential cuts coming through with uh, WorkSafe New Zealand as well can you speak to that at all? I can talk about um, the university. I don't actually work for WorkSafe, sure, so sure. I can't. I can't represent them. Um, and it's 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 something that um, at the moment we're still in consultation. But we, you know, we're we're hoping that we're going to go onto a managed pathway because I think this is something that that we see quite often is how do we? It's part of the government strategy. It's about that capability building. And it's not just us doing capability building. Yes, we are producing, you know, master's level students, but it's right across the workforce. It's from, you know, your undergraduate teaching, your diplomas um, in Tepekenga and things and right up. And it's about upskilling, improving the capability across the workforce, because Mm -hmm. people need to be able to look at work and say that's not safe I'm not going to do that job you know I'm not that task we need to change that so it's a it's a broad thing across the population beyond regulation is there something else that's the most I think the, the mention was made that uh, there are uh, there are there are more subtle factors and part of it has to be down to our culture specifically here in New Zealand you know there's something cultural about our lack of uh, work safe practice and maybe encapsulated by a text here uh, bring back the right to sue Kiwis have a shield be right attitude and won't stop until businesses and people are held responsible Joanne yeah I think um, that attitude it's for innovation is fantastic you know when I think about New Zealand and can probably tell from my accent I'm fairly new, new arrival in New Zealand and the innovation here is incredible because you've had to innovate because you know it's so far from the rest of the world but nowadays when we're thinking about work when we're thinking about how we work it's it's really important that we we take that step back and say right is it okay to do this is it okay if you know when we when you take apart some of these accidents it's kind of like, well, actually, nobody did, nobody took the risk assessment all the way through to what the control measures were, and nobody shared what the control measures were. So we we really need to to get that process in place um, of actually health and safety. We we all have a role in this. You don't just walk into a street of traffic in it. You actually yeah. stop. You assess the risk, and then you take, take a move across the road, and it's 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 that sort of thing. But I think we also need to embed things better in in businesses, and we have got some great businesses in New Zealand with great health and safety teams. But it becomes what you do 
this is how we work. Rather than being an add-on, which of course everyone says, oh, that's going to cost, it's actually, this is about how we work and how we work together. You support that, Jenny? Oh, absolutely. You know, and I can't help but think, you know, it's very... um I guess easy for me to be self-righteous as I sit behind a desk all day and don't put myself in any physical danger at all. Um, and I can't help thinking that so many of the people who are impacted by these you know, facts and figures are you know, what we call blue-collar workers or our, our mm. lower-paid workers who, mm. you know, I work in a business where we evaluate risk against reward and I'm not sure that they are suitably rewarded for the risk that they take each day. Joanne, I think I, I think that's 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 what it's all about, isn't it? It's it's, mm. it's that thing that where well, you have people doing the higher risk jobs. How are they being protected? How are their managers working with them? You know, what's what's the skill level in health and safety and, and risk assessment in that group? And you'll see that in in high performing teams. You know, the communication is is stupendous, and people um, actually working through. Um, you know, issues before they start the job. Some very sad uh, and very, uh, and thank you for sharing too, listeners, some of your feedback, Joanne, but here is one. Uh, Our 18-year-old was killed at work on sentencing the company, went in liquidation, then started another company the next day. No liability, no responsibility, no justice for the workers being killed. That's why the companies don't care. It costs the taxpayers hundreds of thousands of dollars with zero outcome. So, yeah, and yeah. I, th- I think there needs to, there has to be a change in that if that has happened and then someone's, you know, opening up another business the next day, we've got to find a way to stop that. Thanks for being on the program, Dr. Crawford. Kia ora. I really appreciate your time. That's uh, Joan Crawford, the WorkSafe NZ Chair in Health and Safety, Te Heranga Waka. Uh, look, thank you for sharing your stories uh, with me. Uh, that's uh, quite something. Uh, have you... Uh, experienced a workplace injury, an accident, uh, you can text me to 101. You can email me, the panel at rnz.co.nz. And hey, we might even return to that topic uh, in the week. 18 past four, uh, Johnny O'Donnell and Jenny Morton joining me this afternoon on RNZ's The Panel. And to this, when kids are learning about food, developing tastes, trying things out, they're being targeted by the unhealthy food and drinks market. The World Health Organization has released new standards to protect children from the harmful impacts of food marketing. And New Zealand doesn't meet them. And kids in lower socioeconomic neighbourhoods in Aotearoa, they're exposed to twice as much marketing. With us is Dr. Victoria Egley, Research Fellow at Auckland University. Uh, Dr. Egley, welcome. Kia ora. Can you explain these new World Health Organization standards for us? Yeah, sure. So the World Health Organization has set, a, um, has set some recommendations that are based on evidence um, of policies that the governments all over the world need to implement in order to restrict marketing of foods, um, unhealthy food and drink, to children. And the most important thing is that these policies are mandatory um, and that they're enforced, um, that they protect children of all ages, so that's up to 18 years, that they use a government-led nutrient profile model to sort of classify foods, 
that's um, specific for the purpose of restricting marketing. And, you know, these policies need to be sufficiently comprehensive to minimise the risk of food companies switching marketing tactics to other spaces. And we need to do more to make sure that policies restrict the power of food marketers to persuade, so to persuade food choices. Oh, so, so these are international recommendations and yet yep. this country here doesn't meet them? Nope. In New Zealand, um, only, we only have voluntary industry-led policies and bylaws that exist in relation to junk food and drink marketing. And, you know, these policies don't cover all children. It only covers those under 13. The industry-led policies are completely ineffective. You know, we've got research and research and research that shows that they don't work. They're very rarely upheld um, and there's no enforcement. Very strong words there, Jenny. Oh yeah, and and you go, girl, is what I'm going to say because you know it's 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 so wrong that that we. Oh gosh, I seem to be saying that a lot, but you know we do that. This I remember when my son played junior rugby. You know, this was quite a few mm-hmm. years ago. But player of the day, what did they get? They got a McDonald's Happy Meal voucher mm-hmm. provided from the company through the rugby union to the school kids. And, you know, you think about it, you think you've got your kids out there playing a healthy sport and they're being rewarded with a Happy Meal from McDonald's. They're running it off, though. Oh, if it's, yes, maybe they are. Maybe they are. Or maybe for some kids that might be the only sort of decent and in inverted commas meals they get a day. I don't know. But it's why what we teach our kids at a young age and how we train their taste buds will have a lifelong impact on their health and well-being. And we do seem to have in this country, and the moment someone talks about regulating it, it becomes a mm. nanny state – why are we reluctant to protect our children through regulation when we can see it in the rest of the world? What is this back to New Zealand's laissez-faire attitude of she'll be right and everybody's got to have so much personal choice that we stop protecting our young people? We'll protect them against vaping. We're working on that. But we won't protect them from eating a basically unhealthy diet that's Victoria? promoted to them. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. And, you know, food marketing, it shapes eating norms. It shapes preferences and dietary behaviours. And what it does is it takes away from the good things about eating, you know, that that eating can be about connecting to people and cultures and sharing joy. And, you know, when you come to what the government's role is, is that it's our job and it's the government's job to protect children and what um, this, these guidelines sort of show is that, you know, New Zealand was one of the first countries to ratify the United Nations Conventions on the Rights of the Child, and yet it allows food and drink companies to target children in their schools, on their screens, and in the neighbourhoods where they live and they play sport and they hang out with their friends. And Johnny. so what is... Sorry, yeah. sorry to interrupt you, um, uh, Victoria. Really, really no, sorry no. about that. I'll just, I'll just jump and get Johnny to jump in. And we'll come back to you. Yeah, sure. I mean, this is, I, I found this really interesting. Obviously, uh, Victoria, this is one part of a wider picture. You know, I note from the report um, that it talks about the exposure being inequitable, um, and yeah. that children living in less well-off neighbourhoods uh, are exposed to twice as much marketing that we're talking about than than their more affluent um, friends. And so, this this is an equity issue, isn't it? And 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 I guess I'm thinking about my experience going through school and um, hoping things have got a lot better in terms of the types of food that school used to be. Able to, 
sell through canteens and things. I know there's been some big improvements. But, you know, even if we stop marketing and pull restrictions in here, is the fundamental issue not that healthy kai is inaccessible to so many families in New Zealand? Uh, yes, can we have both? <laughs> you know, can, can both be true? I think um, one of the things that I wanted to sort of point out was, you know, I'm a member of Health Coalition Aotearoa, mm. and um, one of the things that they are really pushing for, you know, this election is, one, to continue the expansion of programs like Kaora Ka'ako, but mm. at the same time we also need legislation to protect kids from the pervasive effect of this unhealthy marketing to them. Because kids are getting targeted. Mm. No, sorry, can I just say, though, you mentioned it's the government's uh, job to regulate and ensure that we mm. don't get access to this food, but is, is, is it really the parents that's who we really need to sort of talk about here? Because, uh, look, uh, myself as a parent, I, I, I'm jolly sure that I'm not going to give little Junior three Shrewsburys uh, and not have him brush his teeth. You know, that's my mm. role. I, I'm jolly sure that when my colleagues bring them the Oreos or Tim Tams every day, uh, I'm just going to have one or two, not the packet. It's down to me. It's down to parental responsibility, is it not, Victoria? No, it's not. Not when it comes to kids. Food environments really shape dietary preferences and they shape, you know, pester power on parents and they shape more than just... um, than just what you eat. And I think that's what's really important with food is that if we regulate unhealthy food marketing and drink to kids, not what we're doing is we're telling kids that, like, let's, let's make, like, you're, you're more valuable in this world than being just a consumer. You know, that kids have more value in this world than being a consumer and a consumer of products. And, you know, these products have negative short and long-term impacts on children's health. And they're some of the largest contributors to global plastic pollution. So reducing the advertising in children's neighbourhoods and on their screens is not only going to have individual effects, but it's going to have community-wide effects as well. And I think thinking about our tamariki, thinking about children, we need to think of it from a, a community standpoint that we're all in this together and it's not on individual responsibility because kids shouldn't be asked to take that individual responsibility on themselves. Really interesting stuff, uh, Victoria, and thank you for explaining uh, on um, today's panel. Kia ora. Kia ora. That's uh, Dr. Victoria Eagley, who is saying that uh, the World Health Organization has released new standards to protect children from harmful impacts of food marketing, and we are just not meeting them. Uh, quite something, isn't it? Quite interesting bit of response on this. Um, uh, to Jenny, uh, try giving the Player of the Day award a celery veggie stick, and see how that works. Oh, yeah, because that's the, that's the other end of the scale. That's all we can do, a celery stick or a McDonald's <laughs> Happy Meal. There's not something in between that you can give them. Maybe we don't have to reward people with food. Maybe we can mm. find other things. Mm. No, no, I uh, hear what you're saying. I do hear what you're saying. 27 past for the panel, uh, NZ National, we have Johnny... O'Donnell and Jenny Morton with us uh, this afternoon. Well, I just thought I'd raise this on social media to see what um, our panellists thought of it. Uh, I thought I'd bring it to the panellists' attention. Do you think it is acceptable for a grown-up to take a day off for their birthday or is it actually quite self-absorbed? It uh, popped up on social media. I think, who was it from? I can't recall right now. Um, 
it does seem a bit over the top, do you not think, Jenny Morton? I mean, it's only a birthday. Yeah, look, you do what you want with your annual leave, and if you want to take a day off because it's your birthday, go for it. But um, I just... I, I, I like going to work on my birthday because everyone makes a fuss and you have a morning tea and it's... Good it's point. Not, you know, it's, I don't know, it's just your birthday. When you get to my age, you've had plenty of them, so it's just one more. Huh. Johnny? Well, I, can, I can't really relate to this because I'm not big on birthdays and the, the situation that you just described, Jenny, is my worst nightmare by making a big deal about it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's not something I particularly lean into, but the, um, if, look, all, all power to people if they want to take a day off on their birthday. I actually remember um, working at the warehouse as a teenager and one of their yeah. employment policies is that they give everyone a day off on their birthday, which I think oh, is really, really cool. Yeah. It's good for um, productivity, isn't it? I yep. wonder if that still exists, uh, the, uh, the I warehouse. I think it does. I drives. think it does. My yeah. colleague's son worked there, and, he, and she mm. said she thought that was still the case. Okay. It's mm. just um, that I guess I'm like you, uh, Johnny O'Donnell. You know, what's in a birthday, really? Nothing. Yeah. Get over it. Don't take a day off. Um, no one cares. It's um, self-righteous to take a day off. My... Wonderful producer is throwing her arms in the air. <laughs> uh, here's some feedback here. I've never worked or gone to school on my birthday. It seems odd when I see people working on their birthday. <laughs> Another one here. Yes, you can have a day off for birthdays if you are entitled to a day off. You can take any time you want. So, yeah, I say you can, mate. Uh, Dave says, I have never taken the day off my birthday up until about five years ago, but my partner has never worked on her birthday. I think if people want to do it, let them do it, especially if they've got leave uh, owing. Um, yeah, very interesting stuff. Danielle says, I love taking my birthday off work. Every year I do something I've never done before, and guess what? I celebrate being alive. Oh, well, that Is puts it? me in my place a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's a, that's a nice gesture, isn't it, Jenny? Yeah, it is. I mean, it's, it's it not, is. I mean, if you can't celebrate being alive, what can you do? Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Very good. The panel, uh, NZ National, it is 4.30. We are with Jenny Morton and Johnny O'Donnell. It is time for headlines. Thank you, Wallace. And I think I would rather go to work on my birthday. You see? I Why want to see that? people who love me. That's exactly right, Marama. And we'll make you a special sponge cake. We'll cut it up, have a cup of tea together. Absolutely. It's, actually, I want to say it was my birthday on Saturday. Did not come to work here at RNZ, but I went to Tangata Pasifika. But it's birthday week. I'll birthday come, week. Birthday week. I'll come to work every, every day this week. <laughs> Good on you, Marama. Let's celebrate. Absolutely.